0: Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joel Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200, that's seven two zero zero zero, and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 7200 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block insights to give your business the inside track. And now here's your host, Joel Block. Do
1: you wonder how to find and engage the most important people for your brand and how to get them to advocate and champion your company? To answer that question, Anand Kishore. Anand, welcome to the show.
2: Hey Joel, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hey,
1: I, I know I didn't get your name just right, and I'm sorry about that. Perfect. But, uh,
2: <laughs> how you
1: doing? you doing, man? Nice to have you.
2: Doing well. Doing well.
1: Good. So, what's what's the secret in you know getting somebody to champion your company? I mean, are are, are you talking about like uh, getting like a movie star to champion your company, or like the regular customers?
2: You know, as with anything you know all business starts with real relationships and i think the the first step to building a community of advocates is to you know identify people that ideally you, you've already had a relationship with for a long time as a first as a, as a foundation and slowly grow that kind of step by step over the years i think the types of personas that can have an impact on a business we mostly deal with consumer businesses But really, any type of company can be really broad. So it could be your customers, it could be your partners, your vendors, it could be your distributors, content creators, celebrities, really, you know, the types of personas that are outside of your business and oftentimes even your employees, right? Employees can be amazing advocates for the company as well. There are a lot of different types of personas and the value that each of those people can drive for your business can be really powerful and, and really diverse in terms of what they can do. So, you know, I think the first step is identifying those personas. Who do you care about? Um, why do you care about them? And then the next step is to really go build a real relationship with them. And I think one of the things that is easy to forget about in business is a lot of times we focus on purely extracting value from relationships. And and oftentimes the best way to start a relationship is to, to provide value first and then, and then go from there.
1: So, I've always called the kind of people you're referring to stakeholders.
2: Is that fair? It's a great way to describe it. Yeah. A,
1: stake, a stakeholder is anybody that has an interest, right? So it's not just the shareholders. It could be the vendors, the employees, all the people. So is, is the premise that we're talking about that all of those people, each and every uh, stakeholder, potentially could be a fan, champion, advocate for the company? Is that, is that where we're going here? Exactly. Yep. Okay. And so you guys have some strategy for how to make that happen in a systematic way?
2: Yeah, not, not only a strategy, I would say it, it's a core technology platform that allows you to engage these people and have insights on, on who they are, pulling data from a variety of different sources to unify all of that information and uh, give visibility into, that, into those relationships so that you can take the appropriate next action to you know, nurture that relationship in a, in a way that makes sense. You know, I think one of the things that we noticed as a problem was current technology tools typically fall into the marketing automation sphere, or they fall into the CRM sphere. And, and both of those tend to be very transactional in the way that they look at the world. A CRM solution is typically managing a pipeline. A marketing automation solution is really helping companies yell at their customers more personally, effectively, <laughs> um, which is great and it's important. And I think you need to be able to do that. But it's not really about building a two way dialogue and building a real relationship with people. And so, you know, we've created a toolkit that allows you to do that. And obviously, all of the strategy that goes along with that on the back.
1: So, what do you do? Do you, do you analyze the customer bases of companies? I mean, I, I sort of think of CRM and the, and the market automation as, you know, part of a functional uh, responsibility. So, like the sales function needs to have that kind of thing, the marketing function needs to have those kind of tools. Uh, but when you're talking about the aggregate of consumer behavior, that doesn't fit into a CRM. So how do you get information that analyzes those people and so you can turn them into fans?
2: Yeah, I think the first step there is, is to really be able to pull in data and you know understand that data. In our world, we're dealing with again consumer businesses who so are pulling in data from you know their CRMs, we're pulling in data from their um, commerce platforms like you know, Shopify, et cetera, et cetera we're pulling in data from social platforms and we're unifying that and then trying to draw insights from that to identify individuals that are potentially high value for the brand that they may not already know. And oftentimes they already know them. And then just we're looking to onboard those folks. Once you've done that, it's really about giving them a toolkit to organize those relationships and then actually engage them to do things. I think it's not just about again, transacting, you could invite these people to events, you could solicit product feedback from them, you can have them come to be thought leaders if they're experts in their space. Um, There's a lot of different ways that you can engage with this community. So, you know, our focus is to provide the toolkit to allow companies to do that more effectively and in a more streamlined way.
1: So once you you either gather data from a third-party source, the company gives you whatever data they have, you put that all into some kind of an uh, artificial intelligence engine of some kind that's kind of analyzing all this kind of stuff. What comes out of the other end? I mean, what, what kind of insights
2: it can be really broad, right? It can be just as simple as, Hey, this person's talking about you a lot on social media could be this individual has been a consistent purchaser over, you know, many years and is somebody that you haven't really engaged before could be that they're driving a lot of affiliate sales or referral code traffic So maybe they themselves are not a big buyer of your product, but they are actually being a really great advocate. There are other, you know, interesting data sources that we're starting to tap into too, which are things like tapping into communities online. So like places like Reddit or Facebook groups to identify, you know, users within these sub interest groups that might be advocating for a brand that may not pop up on the traditional radar that a brand has uh, about this stuff. So Trying to identify these folks and then um, you know understand why why would they be valuable to this business is the first step, but it's not the last step. I think obviously once you've identified those folks, really the next thing is to reach out to them and build a relationship so that you can... So
1: this really sounds like it's part of the marketing function, Yeah, right? It's not part of the sales function, it's part of the marketing function that you're identifying markets, you're, you're fine-tuning markets. How, once you get this information, how are companies monetizing what they find out? How's that happening?
2: yeah, I think one of the you know one of the overarching words, which I haven't really talked about is this idea of community, right? So I think when when you talk about these relationships that are really important to you, one of the big end states that you're trying to get to with these folks or the the goal that you're trying to get to is to really foster a sense of community. And you know when you start thinking about a, a brand's community, there's a lot of value that you can generate from them in different ways. Um so whether that's in the context of, product feedback, as I mentioned, content creation, referral, sales, so on and so forth. There's, there's numerous opportunities for a brand to generate value. And so the idea would be to empower a brand to tap into those folks. One example that we've noticed is that community members tend to be much higher value customers themselves. And then they also tend to refer a lot more as well. So internally, we're calling it this idea of the new LTV. And it's the idea that the lifetime value of your customer is not just what they bring to the table, but also what they can empower for you within the community themselves.
1: So it it takes a linear concept and turns it geometric. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. So just so that I can understand it a little better and, and our listeners can understand a little better. What are some tactical real life things that actually happen? Like, let, let's try to make this a little bit more tangible because it's it's a little amorphic. It's a little hard to kind of follow. When you identify this community, what do you get these people to do? I mean, let's say that the brand is, uh, I don't know, let's say it's a tire company and people are out there buying tires and they're all people who are you know buying tires. There probably are a lot of people that like certain kind of tires. They're excited about tires. They like trucks and they like big tires. And, you know, I mean, my son, when he was a teenager, you know, was one of those. So what do you get those people to do? Come out to events or go on Facebook, go on groups, or what do you get them to do?
2: Yeah, I think um, the first step would be to identify those those passionate advocates and, and then understand why are they passionate. I think that's probably the first step always is to You know, to figure out who are these people again, and what is the root of why they are interested in your brand. You know, I think tires might be a little interesting, just given I I don't know necessarily where the where the passionate communities around tires are. But what do we use a different one that's kind of in that I guess in that headspace? Is uh, you know Harley Davidson is a great example, right? Harleys are products that have or is a brand that has an incredibly passionate community around it, and In fact, the story of Harley Davidson is super interesting. They were actually, you know, about to go into bankruptcy. They were private equity owned. They were going to go into bankruptcy. This is, you know, a few decades ago or two decades ago. They were getting crushed by the Japanese competitors that had kind of flooded the market. That were much higher quality products. To be honest, at that point, Harley was not a very high quality product. But the original founders actually bought it back out of bankruptcy or near bankruptcy from the private equity owners. And to celebrate that, kind of. Reacquisition of of the brand, they actually organized a drive um, or a Harley ride from uh, the new location of their factory back to I, f- I think it was it was in Pennsylvania, back to the original location of their first factory, and that became a big like landmark moment. Tons of people joined for it. It was a huge kind of symbolic moment for Harley Davidson, and that kind of catalyzed an idea, hey, what if we started organizing these Harley rides around the country? And the community galvanized around that. The brand didn't actually look to monetize any of it. They, they didn't say, hey, to be a part of this ride, you need to buy a Harley Davidson. A, l- a lot of these folks already had Harleys. They just gave community leaders the kits to say, hey, here's kind of the general framework. You're gonna take a ride and you're gonna take a, a tour and um, stop off at a few different places. They organized the routes. And local community organizers took that upon themselves and started organizing these. I think at that point the Harley community was less than a couple hundred thousand. Today it's over three million people across the country. The company went from bankruptcy to you know re-energizing the brand, and a lot of it had nothing to do with actually buying a Harley. It was actually just about this idea that Harley Harley Davidson represents the open road and, and freedom and you know whatnot. So I think that's it, to me that's a great example of how community is not just about it's not it's not transactional, but it can have a lot of value to a business. Yeah. At the end of no,
1: it. listen, I'm I'm really a uh, I'm a really big fan of community. I mean, I, I what you're describing, you know, really lands for me. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's not always obvious though how to do that. Like you hear the Harley example, you go, yeah, well, of course, that's obvious. It's Harley. It's not just obvious because it's Harley. It's obvious because they did it and it's easy for us to see that what they did, you know, but at at some point in time, somebody had to conceptualize that too. How does somebody go about figuring out what their community could do that would be fun, exciting, uh, invigorating, energizing, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but, you know, kind of becomes a flashpoint for everybody to kind of get focused on something all at one time. How do they go about doing that?
2: I think oftentimes, obviously, there isn't a one size fits all answer to that, but I think that the first step is usually just listening. I think oftentimes what you'll find is your customers, your partners, people in your orbit are probably already doing some form of this, right? They're probably already engaged in some way, assuming they generally like your business or your brand. I think oftentimes your community has already figured out the answer, and it's about... Your job as a as a as a business owner is to go identify that and then amplify it, and let them lead. I think um, you know in the another kind of example I'll throw out that I I think is really interesting in a very different sphere is Glossier, which is uh, obviously a really successful beauty brand that emerged over the last six years. They actually started out as a cosmetics blog started by Emily Weiss, and you know they weren't selling any products. It was just a blog where she talked about you know product. And it became a really, really rabid community. Um, People just really engaged with the content, uh, engaged with her, you know, young women, especially, obviously. And over time, they continued to nurture that community. And it became a real business as they started to layer in products on top of that. So I think it's shifting the framework to, you know, how do I maximize value from these relationships to you know, how, how do I identify what, what's already happening? How do I amplify that? How do I empower it? How do I act as a facilitator really? And then, you know, the value will come over time.
1: You know, I don't think that people think about what you're calling community, uh, you know, is really, uh, thought of as an asset. I mean, I mean, I, I come from the money business, you know, so to me, uh, you know, I, I, think about assets and, you know your your fans, your customers. We talk about the brand being the thing, the intellectual property, the IP, the value. But really, you know, the value of the enthusiasm is there. Is there a, like a, a key performance indicator or something that identifies the concept of the enthusiasm factor that a company has of their fans?
2: Not yet. Uh, we're working on that, though. I think that's a, that's a really interesting question. I think there there is. There are there will be ways to quantify this over time. I think what's interesting now is and you're seeing this in the consumer world especially, there's the entire consumer funnel is is now measured, right? Every aspect of an e-commerce brand's engagement with their customer base is quantifiable using data. But that's point to point. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you're not talking about point to point. You're talking about not the company engaging with the customer, but mm-hmm. the customers engaging with each other.
2: Yeah. So uh, I think my point was more that now that you have the infrastructure to track all this data, uh, I think what the next kind of phase of that is is you can actually just do like A/B tests, right? Hey, these are people that are part of active community programs that are in our business. These are people that are not. Let's measure, you know, value ag- across those different personas to see how.
1: You know, a lot of, a lot of things have happened in the last uh, twenty years that have knocked a lot of old line companies out of yes. business. This one is bigger than all of them because if you don't have the ability to kind of organize people and get them to kind of channel their, their fan hood, then you are really, really going to be left out. I mean, for consumer brands, I mean, not for every company in America, but for consumer brands, certainly the companies that do this best are going to benefit a great deal. I mean, I, I get that. That's I never, when I woke up today, I had not been thinking about this, but I will tell you, talking to you, crystal clear that uh, this is serious.
2: Yeah, I think I think you know it, it is definitely in the consumer world, but I, I, you know, even in the B two B world, what's funny is uh, you know you think about a company like Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce has, to be honest, relatively you know difficult to use product. It's not super streamlined. They've made some great acquisitions over the years, but I, I, I would venture a guess to say that they would look at their community what they call their trailblazer community as one of the key points of value and key differentiators for their business over the last decade. And the reason is that they went and said, Hey, we're going to build an entire ecosystem around our business to help people train and learn how to use Salesforce, build careers off of Salesforce, uh, create entire like reseller networks, et cetera, et cetera. And, And I think that became a huge moat for the business because so many people tied their career to this this company and this product that it kind of sucked all the air out of the room for everybody else in the crm space right and so i think it's 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 a really I, you know i i obviously am biased but i completely agree with you that I, I think community is going to be one of the biggest topics in across business like any any type of business over the next you know decade because we're we've kind of entered this new phase where everyone, every consumer in B2B or B2C, wherever has access to infinite information, right? There's, there's, you can get access to anything you want with a few clicks of a mouse. So the real differentiator is no longer, can you get shelf space at Safeway or, you know, do you have the best supply chain or do you have the biggest budget to buy ads and billboards and TV spots, right? the real differentiator is going to be, can you create, can you tap into that fandom? Can you tap into your communities and amplify those voices? Because that's, what's going to be really sustainable over the long run.
1: Yeah, this is, this is really a, this is a thought provoking discussion. You know, one of the things about Salesforce that, uh, that I notice, first of all, because it's complicated, it's created all these little cottage industries. So a whole cottage industry has, you know, of, of trainers, of installers, of developers, All these different people have, like you said, have made their living out of it. What Salesforce did that was very brilliant, and now other companies like Zoom are following is they have their giant industry event every year where all the users see in the old days. You know, I mean, what I I remember, and you know, you're a little younger, but you know, companies would keep each other, keep their people away from each other because they don't want them to complain. But in the new model, uh, people get together. And they brainstorm ways to uh, make things happen. And one of the things that I've always said, and you know, having been in the venture business for a long time, is that the hallmark of a great idea is an idea that gets bigger with each person who touches it. So when you put people in a room together and they go, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. Oh, that's a great idea. What if we did this too, and this too, and this too? When that happens, you know, you have a good idea. That's how I used to measure things for investments in venture. Is if if uh, if people would contribute to an idea. I knew that it was a good idea. If people would say, yeah, that's a nice idea. And then they change the channel or they'd go to the ask what the weather was or something else uh, I would know it wasn't. And and so when these companies put people together, it just seems like that's, it's working. And like zoom is doing the same thing and other companies are trying not necessarily with the same level of success, but I'm seeing it a lot.
2: Yeah. I I think that's a great way of describing it. I think, um, you know, one example that's, it's probably a little under the radar still, but um, and that I think is amazing is this company called Notion, which um, has a note-taking app. And uh, they've, it, it sounds really simple, but it's just, it's, it's a really elegant solution for a company to act as kind of a wiki for all of their internal notes. And um, they have a massive community of people that that they tap into and that have, re- that are really passionate advocates for for the, for the product. One of the examples I was talking to their head of marketing recently, and one of the examples she shared was that some one of their community members in France actually was so excited about what they were doing, actually, you know, went and translated their entire help section into French <laughs> and just sent it <laughs> to them by their support at uh, email. And was like, "Hey guys, thought this might be helpful. You know, uh, let me know what you think." And uh, obviously, they t- they were like, "But you know
1: that that actually that's that's actually that's actually the level." Of endorsement, of support, of advocacy uh, that you're looking for. I mean, not everybody's going to you know totally, yeah. take a take a free job and translate your entire manual, but <laughs> but you know the, the fact that, that there are people who want to do things tells you that you have something of great value. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And again, it's not not every company is going to have that, and and I, I don't think everybody should kind of have that kind of a standard, but I think it's more just you know, aspirationally, it's a good target to have, right? But it's it's also important to
1: notice that having a great community doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make any money. You still have to develop mechanisms for driving revenue. You have to have a good mix of revenue streams and so forth. So there's, uh, you know, this this intel. I mean, I can just imagine that there are going to be people who are absolutely fantastic community builders and their business fails because they don't have a a mechanism for generating revenue.
2: Yeah, I think that I think that was more true historically. I think what's changed now, especially in the consumer world, is it's so easy to spin up a Shopify store. It's so easy to manufacture outsource manufacturing. You know, so if you have if you actually do the hard work around building a community, I actually think it's it's probably, you know, you may not build a massive business, but I actually think it's probably relatively significantly easier than it was before to build a meaningful business um, because all of the other stuff is actually somewhat commoditized right it's actually the hard the hard thing to do the hardest thing to do is build a community in many ways
1: yeah uh, listen i I think it is the hard part, but sometimes people focus on the hard part and they uh they ignore the other important parts yep yeah well listen this is uh this has been a pretty fascinating discussion. I appreciate you coming on and sharing this with us uh this is because we we talk about the inside track on our show I mean that's what the whole thing is the best smartest, and fastest ways to get things done and this is kind of the inside track on an up-and-coming technology. You told me that you guys are uh, venture-funded, yeah.
2: right? You want to talk about that at all? Yeah. So we um, we raised uh, we've raised about twenty-two million in capital from uh, some from VCs and, and on other entrepreneurs. And uh, you know, I think we've, we've we're we're based in the Bay Area, but I think we've been a little bit unique in how we've approached our business in, in the context of being more. Um, disciplined in, in capital allocation. I come from the hedge fund world and, and my co-founder comes one of my co-founders comes from the private equity world. So we've always been pretty um, focused on making sure that we're running a healthy and sustainable business. But yeah, it's been great to have amazing partners who who push us and challenge us through the process. Yeah. Comment
1: real quick on uh, on the difference between having a uh... Having a lot of gas in the tank and not having any gas. I mean, you know, one of the things a lot of a lot of companies, even even middle sized companies, they just don't have enough working capital. They don't have enough growth capital. If their capital stack just isn't organized just right. I mean, you guys, you know, you you've got gas in the tank. What's that done?
2: Yeah, you know, I think there are pros and cons to everything. I don't think there's a, there's a right answer. Um, it's kind of up to you as the entrepreneur to to figure out what the right answer is for you and your business. You know, in some ways, it's been obviously amazing to be able to have the resources to go hire, you know, talent that we otherwise couldn't have necessarily imported. It's been amazing to be able to invest in projects that are future looking, um, that don't need to have an immediate payoff so that we can can be more long-term in how we think about our product and our strategy. It's been great to have partners who believe in the vision and, and challenge us and, you know, push us to get better, which I think... Is something that I obviously, as an entrepreneur, you tend to be pretty stubborn, and I think sometimes uh, it's it's a trait uh, that I think is pretty uh, universal. So sometimes I think it's easy to kind of get caught up in that, but having that foil to to bounce things off of and and, um, challenge yourself, I think, is always really useful. On the on the other side, I think there there are pressures that come with it too, right? So the pressure to grow is a real one. Investors are looking for return on their capital, so that that creates. You know inherently pressure to move as fast as you possibly can and be really aggressive, and so I think there's a that's where the tension arises. I think is understanding what what's right for your business. To, you know, do you have? Are you at the point where pouring fuel on the fire makes sense, or, or you know, does it make sense to actually run this run the company more lean, more focused on incremental growth, or just focused on product development versus scale? So I think those are the those are some of the things that I would tend to try to understand based on the specific business. Yeah, you know,
1: having been uh, in the venture business for a long time, I counsel most people not to get venture. I mean, it, it's it's a rare situation where it's the right fit. Venture is one kind of money. There's lots and lots of different kinds of money, and you got to get the right kind of money. You got to match the money to the deal and so forth. But congratulations, you guys, for securing that uh, that big investment. And, uh, you know, I, I could see why the guys came in. This is a cool deal. This is, I really think that this is something, this is a trend that's on the horizon of the development of community. And, uh, you know, and I think you have shared the inside track. I mean, that's always our goal. And, and I think you did it. So thank you very much for being with us. Your contact info will be in the show notes in case anybody wants to reach out to you. And I appreciate you sharing. Awesome. Thanks, Joel. Great to be here. Hey, man. Thanks very much. You've
0: been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joel Block. Joel's Insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000, And download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 7200 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.